Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to Malachi first. Malachi chapter 3 and 4. We'll read a portion from there. So the last book of the Old Testament. Page 1106. read the first three verses of chapter 3. Hear the word of God. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of his covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Let's now turn to chapter 4, Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That is how the Old Testament ended. And if you'll turn 400 years to Luke chapter 1. It's hard to tell. There's a gap of 400 years. Luke chapter 1, we're going to hear the Word of God, the first 25 verses there. And our focus this morning is uh, from verse 5 to 25. But here's how Luke's gospel begins. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of these things which have been fulfilled among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of these things in which you were instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot 
fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be made, uh, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service was completed that he departed to his own house. Now after these days, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's our reading this morning. May the Lord add his blessing to the word that we hear this morning. After the sermon, we're going to be singing again from that supplement that you have. Um, it's page 62, God himself is with us. Brothers and sisters loved by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Silence. Ten seconds of silence. That's all it was. What was going on in your mind? Is the pastor okay? Is the audio working? How long is this going to take? What kind of stunt is this? The point is, silence is powerful. Most of us have never heard silence in church. Maybe there have been times, you, you might remember a visiting guest or a pastor coming up to the pulpit first, and as he's making his way up, maybe you've seen the pastor pause for a moment, and you think, oh, he might be praying. 
Then he keeps going. Or maybe you've had a pastor pause for a silent prayer after the law, after the Ten Commandments were read. That is a time that the church has often gone silent. If church is all about the Word of God and all about information and truth and knowledge, it's going to be great for every extrovert here. Go, go, go. And even in the music, before worship, after worship, right in the middle, even during the collection, it's tuning our hearts and it's filling our hearts with words. The lyrics of the psalms or the hymns, if you know them, they're buzzing You can never get any peace and quiet here. This morning, I bring to you the Word of God. Silence. And it's a very pregnant silence that we hear about this morning. A very pregnant silence to prepare us for the Christ. You should know that we're in the Advent season, right? Advent is a fancy word, meaning coming. The coming of the Savior Jesus Christ, coming with the clouds of heaven. But His first advent, this time of year, we remember, shows the glory of Christ that God had to prepare His people for such a glory that was coming. Such a glory. It's not that Jesus Christ was quietly sneaking onto the world stage Yeah, he had humble beginnings. You you notice that. But his coming is kingdom coming. The prophets of old have been preparing for this. Preparing God's people. John the Baptist would be preparing the people. And how does God prepare for John the Baptist? Silence. And 400 years of silence. Silence. It's too bad you can just turn a page in your Bible and forget what, what is 400 years like? 400 years ago, what, what happened? I was thinking a Synod of Dort, but not too many people associate church history 400 years ago, a Synod of Dort. But um, what about the Mayflower making its first landing on America? 400 years ago. There's a lot that's happened since. Anyway, it's been 400 years God's people have not heard a prophet. 400 years, no one's had a vision. 400 years since God has said anything off the record. It's been dead quiet. And silence has been powerful. More than 10 seconds. We're asking, what's been going on? Where is God right now? For 400 years, you're asking, is God angry with us? Has He forgotten us? Something very typical in the Psalms, like we were singing in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? So for 400 years, while obviously God is moving world history during that time, right? God is making good use of that time, replacing world empires, preparing the globe for Christ, making a common language like the Greek language across the world, and and setting up roads, preparing for all mission work, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We understand that God has set the stage for the Christ to come, but for 400 years of silence, the people of God have been just 
chugging along. Going through the motions. Predictable liturgy. Their prayers, their sacrifices, their, in their temple, in their synagogues, tradition during the silence. God, are you even there? And so Luke 1, verse 5, we're reading this. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were, born, they were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Somewhere, in that dark silence, under Herod, and just so you know, Herod is from the line of Edom. There's some history there. You should, you should remember this association with Herod and the offspring of the serpent ruling over the land of Israel, over the offspring of the woman. And yet in this dark silence where it seems like Satan is ruling, there's this godly couple. I'm not sure. Did you notice that? There's a godly couple. I really need to highlight this. Because some church language, maybe our church language, we, we all have a church dialect, no matter what denomination you're from. But ours, we might not be used to saying this. There's a good couple. You ever called somebody good before? The word is righteous. That means they're right with God. You might be used to the, the language in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. And that might just blot out everything you read about Abraham being righteous. How about Noah being righteous? How about, Abraham, um, how about Daniel, Job? And so, let me point this out. This is a good couple. God-fearing people in Luke 1. And they're not just God-fearing. They're God-fearing people who've been living in this darkness, the 400 years of darkness that they've entered into, they were born into. And yet they're clinging to the Lord in faith. Verse 6, they're walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They're blameless. I need to... Go off topic for a moment here. Because brothers and sisters, God calls His people saints so often. And we might default to our language. We're like, no, but we're sinners. Let me say it like this. You should not always pray, Lord, we are sinners. You should not always say, Lord, I am a sinner. And it's easy to default to this language. You learn it from your parents, maybe, from other Christians. But rarely in the Bible are God's people called sinners. Rarely. So many times, when you call yourself a sinner, you're identifying with the old nature. Your old identity. I'm a sinner, you say. Lord, I'm not worthy. Maybe you end your prayers like this. Lord, we ask this not because we're worthy in ourselves, but in Jesus' name. And someone has to be blunt, and someone has to say, in yourself? When was the last time you were in yourself? 
Don't you have this only comfort in life and death that I'm not my own? I am no longer. When was the last time I was in myself? I am in Christ. That's my only comfort. So brothers and sisters, you are in Christ. You're worthy in Him. That's why you're asking and seeking and knocking. Because you're a child of Christ, your King. Many of you are holy. I wish I could say all. But many of you are holy. Many of you are blameless. Many of you are keeping the commands in a time of darkness, in a time of silence. And that's the language we need to learn. It's not going to be our default language for some years. How do we speak about ourselves before God? I have this new identity. I'm someone in the Spirit of God. I have a new nature. So please notice, back to this. Chapter 1, verse 6. Ordinary believers, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're marked out by God as beautiful, faithful, obedient, trusting children. Nobody says they're perfect. That's not what blameless means. But they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And every time they've fallen, they're made new again through the power of the Holy Spirit. Blameless. And somewhere in that silence, for 400 years span, lives are lived for God. There's this godly couple. During the famine of the Word of God, here are two that are trusting. And then notice the extra aggravation they deal with in verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. And this speaks of another silence. So you heard about the 400 years of silence. How about this silence? The silence of the womb. I mentioned this maybe in in our study of Ruth. But this matter of being without children, not being able to have more children or losing your children, that even not being part of the line of Judah, this is important. They're not growing up in David's line. You hear Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're not from that line of King David, but they have this hope of the Redeemer. The next generation, they have that hope. They have hope that there are prophets and priests and kings anointed for the Lord. Their desire for children is more than just, I want kids. And here's a silence that some of us know. The silence of the womb. The silence of a home. Things are too tidy. Too clean. And too quiet. And I need to point out the obvious. That God has given the silence to this godly couple. Can you put that together somehow? Try to understand that. Here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. Exalted by the Lord. Notice, they are godly. They're blameless. They're trusting in me. And uh, notice, I have not given them any children. It's a silence filled with pain. With questions. Busy with thoughts. 
They've been afflicted by God Himself, yet they trust in Him. His two children loved dearly by God. He records it for all the church. These are my righteous ones. I love them. They're my blameless ones. And they're living with silence into their old age. And like other blameless people have said, no doubt, this is Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's our introduction to the two. But let's switch over now, move over to the temple. Because Mr. Zechariah is in the temple. And he's serving a once-in-a-lifetime task. He's a priest, Zechariah. And he's not a high priest, so this is not speaking of the holy of holies. Once a year, that's not it. This is the task of a preach of a priest who's one of 10,000 men in his division and he's chosen by lot and he gets to stand in the holy place you know maybe i should spell this out the holy place is where you would find the golden lampstand lighting things up nonstop and there's the table of the showbread there's always fresh bread there the holy place where there's light from heaven there's bread from heaven and prayers, prayers going up to heaven. This is the threshold where heaven and earth meets. And it's the transition zone. The golden altar of incense is making the smoke. It's using coals that have been brought from the, the altar of burnt offering. And it's heating up this special mixture, a powder of incense for making the smoke to resemble prayers that are going up to God. So you know what Zechariah is doing? For the first time, and the only time in his life, he has this special task of recharging the prayers. Offering incense on that small golden altar. Sweet-smelling incense. Verse 10 says, The crowd is outside, they're praying... And Zechariah is inside, and he is praying. He's praying symbolically. There's this smoke going up to represent what is happening in real life on earth. Here's what's happening in heaven. A smoke going up. You can picture it. Prayers going up to God. And Verse 11, this happens. An angel appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. If you've read this a few times, maybe you read it and it sounds pretty bland. Think about what's going on. What would it be like to be in Zechariah's shoes? Anyone you know in the scriptures has ever met an angel is filled with fear. But now you don't know anyone who's met an angel for 400 years. God has gone absolutely silent. And all that we've had left was tradition. Predictable, safe, repetitive tradition. And for this, Zechariah is absolutely unprepared. 
the angel appears, and then there's this speech. Maybe you can look down on your Bible and read that speech. It's verses 13 to 17. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. One line. Your prayer is heard. What prayer? The prayer for a child? Zechariah and Elizabeth are advanced in years. What prayer are you talking? The one we stopped praying maybe some 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Put, it, put a number in there. What prayer has been answered? The generic prayer that the crowd is praying outside. Zechariah is inside, but the crowd out there is mumbling and reciting words of habit. Hosanna. Hebrew word meaning Lord save. Or come Lord. Maranatha. Send your Christ. Send the Messiah. May your kingdom come. There are so many ways we could be saying these lines. What prayer has been answered? Wouldn't that be scary? Praying a prayer and suddenly seeing an angel who says, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you glad tidings. I wonder how often I've been praying or how often you've been praying and God has an angel standing right there in the room with you. And the angel has been told by God, shh, Don't say anything. Silent. Let my child trust me in the silence. Though I have angels ready to answer. And I have good news for them. Shh. The angel has a lot to say. We read those verses 13 to 17. Let me summarize it. Zechariah, you and Elizabeth are about to have a son that Isaiah had prophesied about, that Malachi had prophesied about. You're going to have a son who will prepare the way, just like Elijah himself prepared the way for the Lord, and he's going to be preaching to the heart. He will preach repentance. He will preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. He will be great. I want you to notice this. John the Baptist will break the silence. After 400 years, glad tidings of great joy for all the people. Turn back to God. John will announce the Messiah is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He is King. I'm not sure you're ready for this. He is King. And He's coming with His kingdom.
I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you're approaching Christmas thinking that Jesus came to make you make your life a little easier, make you a better sort of person, make you kinder and nicer. I'll say it like this. If Jesus Christ came, only came to make you a better person, you don't need 400 years of silence. You don't need a John the Baptist preparing the way. You don't need repentance. You can just read a book. You can just take in some sort of seminar. You can learn how to be a better person even watching YouTube. But the point is, heaven and earth tremble at the approach of the Son of God. Heaven and earth have a sense of the glory that's coming. That is Christmas. An absolute hush falls before the King comes. And a messenger angel announces a messenger prophet to prepare the way. Your world is about to flip upside down. He will be preeminent first in your life. You see the point? Silence forces you to think. It's especially silence that can do that. What's going on? And how long? And why? And what's going to happen? Zechariah has been told that he and Elizabeth will have a son. Verse 18. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Simple question, right? How can I be sure? Some similarity to Gideon. Remember the judge Gideon. I could use a sign, Lord. Maybe a little bit of fleece. Make it wet on one side. A lot like Mary. Mary later in this chapter. How will this be since I am not married? And the angel Gabriel says in verse 20, You will be mute you will be unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words. Zechariah did not believe the words. But how bad was his doubt, really? Was it worse than Sarai when she heard the angel tell Abram, a 90-year-old woman would have a baby? Was it worse than when Sarai laughed? And I need to point out a huge cultural difference between then and now. We're looking at this as if we are Zechariah, one man, one person, who's promised a son. There's one guy, he didn't believe the angel's words, but I need to point out who Zechariah is. He's a priest. Who he is, he stands as a person standing for all the people. In a way, Zechariah is that crowd. He is that man who is the crowd outside praying. He is both the best of God's people, a righteous man keeping God's word, a blameless man, and in a way, he is the worst of God's people. He is the crowd. Praying, sometimes believing, sometimes doubting. 
praying out of habit. And it's all wrapped up in one person. The priest, Zechariah, he's a messed up person. Believing and doubting. And the verdict, the judgment, this, this isn't just a slap on the wrist for Zechariah. You will be silent until the day it all comes to pass. No, it's a slap on the wrist for all Israel. You. You doubt me, God says. Is anything too hard for me to do, the Lord says. This silence, you know, it gets worse. I will cancel your priestly blessing. That's what happens that day. You remember the crowd outside? They're praying and they're waiting. Suddenly their, their routine, their usual liturgy, their flow of worship is all shaken up. God does this. And the silence is even worse now. Zechariah lingered long in the temple, verse 21 says. Imagine you were there in the crowd waiting. Like forever. What's going on? There's that silence there. And then, verse 21, when he came out, Zechariah could not speak to them. He remained speechless. It's probably something I should point out that at the, from the Old Testament we know there's this part of the liturgy at the hour of incense with the morning and the evening prayers Number 6, verse 13, instructs the priest. He instructs somebody like Zechariah, the son of Aaron. You shall bless the children of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What's supposed to happen at the end of their prayer service? The blessing. And now you see Zechariah. And it's not just that he's personally mute. Shucks for him. It said all Israel will not get their blessing that day. The Lord canceled the blessing. You can have silence this time. Does that get your attention? This canceled blessing? Because I want you to be ready for the Son of God. I want you to be ready for this, that he will be silent. The Son of God will be silent when he is accused. Why? Because he will own his people's sin, their guilt, their unbelief. And he will not find his way out by speaking. He will own their unbelief. And he is the crowd Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ will be nailed to the cross after that. He will be nailed because of our sin. And He will cry out to God and there will be silence. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ took on silence. He took it on Himself to break the silence of God. And let me give it away. This is a spoiler from the end of the Gospel of Luke. The resurrected Jesus Christ goes from earth into heaven. You can never read that again the same way. If you began with Luke chapter 1 and Zechariah's blessing stopped, 
you read Luke 24. Jesus Christ ascending into heaven with his hands showing the holes in his hands and his side. And he goes up doing what? As he goes out of sight, uninterrupted because a cloud blocks the view. But the last thing you've seen him doing and the last thing you've heard him doing was blessing his people. There is no silence for you in Christ. And I'm not sure you're ready for this Christ. We're coming to the end of of the message here this morning. I'm not sure you're ready. You are definitely ready if Jesus Christ is just God's gift to make you a little bit smarter, happier, maybe better looking, healthier, a bit friendlier and nicer, then shucks, you're ready for him. But if it turns out, as Luke is portraying it, that Jesus is the very Son of God, the King of Kings, then there had better be a hush sometime. How am I going to get ready? His his messengers. He's got all sorts of messengers telling us that His kingdom is first. His righteousness is first. Silence. Let there be silence. And use the silence that God sends you. Use it well. In your silence that you live with, give thought to Christ's blessing nonstop. How are you going to break through that silence? For nine months, what's Zechariah doing? He's silent. And the words of the angel has been ringing in his ears for nine months now. May the word of God ring in your ears during the silence. After nine months, verse 64, we didn't read that, but if you read what it says in verses 64 and following, he bursts forth with one thing. Nine months of God's word building up in his heart. He bursts forth with praise. His mouth was opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? Silence made them ask, what kind of child will this be? And that was only John the Baptist. Amen.